maybe that can tell us a bit, little bit about what the gathering is. Footy, so footy itself and footy teams. Um, going to the football, what, what do you do when you go to the football? <laughs> yes, you watch football, but you eat donuts. But you barrack for a specific team. You, you're part of you're part of a so if you're in a gathering, so maybe one part of a gathering is you're barracking for a team. Other other areas in our society, parks, parks or pubs. I was like parks or pubs. Either way is going to work. <laughs> yep. So people are drawn to different locations to be able to gather. What do you do in those locations, Pete? Drink. And chat. So, so there is a desire for something which is um, more than just sitting in the corner with your pint going warm. Um, other places. Auctions. Auctions. Wow. Now we know. What, what, what do you think drives community in an auction, Wayne? Sharing of secret strategy and probably also some sort of cathartic sharing of, uh, of we all failed to, to um, even land a bid on this place which went $500,000 more than uh, reserve on the opening bid. There, there is that, that strange sort of thing that a few, quite a few of those things have identified in that we, as people, we grow up in, in the West we, and we're sort of immersed in this narrative which says... You're all individuals, and yet we, as people in general, we do the Monty Python thing, and we, we turn around and we go, we are all individuals. And then there's that one person who says, I'm not, and we laugh at them. Because the way that we're, we seem to be wired is that it, as much as we desire individuality, we desire um, you know, being our own person, we gather together anyway. We gather together around all sorts of different things. When, when I was living down um, in Pran, uh, we, the council down there in Steve Stonington introduced their new sort of council vision for the next however many years and, you know, do all of these things, um, redevelop all of these areas. But number three on that vision, after sort of making money and um, something else, uh, was foster community. So that was the third thing that they thought was important about Pran uh, and the city of Stonington in general. For a place that is sort of built up with high-rise apartment blocks, the majority of which have one or two people in them, the, and from living in, down there, I can tell you that the majority of people in those blocks don't actually see anyone else in the same apartment block as you. you know, you're living on top of 20 to 40 other people, and you've got no idea who else is in your apartment block. And yet the city of Stonington, the council area said, our third highest priority for all the money we're going to spend over the next five years, I think it was, was building community. There's something that we desire as humans, as people, that we desire to gather together with others. You don't go to the pub to nurse a pint and sit in the corner. You go to the pub to nurse a pint and talk to others. And why? Why is that? Well, I think there's, there's something that is universal about it, that we, that we do seek positive reinforcements from the group that we're in. From, speaking from a psychological perspective, we are social beings. We gather together in groups and we uh, have positive reinforcement from those groups. We get, gain self-esteem from being part of groups. 
It's not a bad thing at all. I think it's actually what we're designed for. But there's a problem, isn't there? And I think you can see it in the first example that we had of watching the footy. We tend to get rather tribal about things. One of the, and, and not just in, you know, Collingwood versus uh, Carlton or... I don't, uh, can, you, can you tell I'm actually not from Melbourne and I have no idea about the traditional rivalries in any of the AFL teams whatsoever? Collingwood, Collingwood and anyone else. I did see at the, um, at the MCG yesterday all the prisoners being uh, led out the back of the MCG. Sorry, that was a Lego MCG at the Maya. Um, but we have all of these rivalries that, that are sort of imbued in our society. Uh, and the reason for this, I think is because if we want to gain positive self-esteem from groups, if we want to gain positive reinforcement, then the biggest way we do that is by knowing who isn't in our group. We beat you, Collingwood supporters. I don't, I don't know where they, they got one or lost yesterday. I just saw them on the way to the G. You know, we beat that other team. We're better than them. This is a good thing for us. Not so good for them mind you, but a good thing for us. So we generate this sense of positivity, this sense of our own self-esteem by excluding others, by pushing others away from us, by knowing who is out. Because the only way you can know that you're in is by knowing who is out. I think the very simplest way of seeing this is um, my son Caleb is in um, childcare. And you don't even have to, to be long in a childcare or in a, in a school or anywhere which has kids before you hear possibly the worst taunt that you can find in a school. You can't play with us. What's the reason behind you can't play with us? Well, usually it's you're not our friend. You can't play with us because you're not like us. You're not part of our group. You aren't part of our gathering. You're outside. We're inside. Go away. So there's something beautiful about our gatherings, I think, often. You know, you look at the, the gathering, you have, all the gatherings you have around here in Kensington, in the parks, the Good, the good Karma Network. They're good things, but they're intrinsically flawed because we end up dividing over the same groups. So then, what's the point for us as Christians? You know, we gather in, in a little hall like this, and a lot of the time, I think if you're walking past on the outside, as people do on the way to the pool, they go, who's those people in there, sort of cut off and separate and being this little social group? I just saw someone walk past the back door do exactly this. <laughs> Had it in their eyes. They're like, what's going on in there? You know, that's a group that's over there. They're a bit weird. And also, I think, that's a perception then that we also exclude them. So what then are we called to as people? Well, I think, as you probably guessed from the, the title of the sermon, up there, well, yeah, that really big word up there, we're called to be gathered people. But that can be a bit problematic if it, just what I've described is true. So let's have a look at what the Bible says about gathering. And we'll try and plot our way out of this conundrum that we found ourselves in. So what are we called to? So I'm going to go through these four points. What are we called to? Who makes up a gathering? 
why should we gather, especially if you know, we're so flawed? And how do we do gathering? What's it, what does it look like in the end? So what are we called to? Well, I take it we are called to be a gathered people. I take it that the reason that we do gather so naturally as people that we join with the people who are like us, the join, join with the people who are around us, is because that's how we're designed. That's how we are made. You see that in Ezekiel, in the first reading that we had, um, when God is speaking to Ezekiel about the Israelites, the people who have shut themselves off from so many around them, have excluded um, through, through their kings and through their, their worship of other idols, and, and eventually have excluded God from their, from their gatherings. And yet God says to them, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. And most critically, I think here, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you and move you to fulfill my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. There's a transformation in there that goes along with the gathering. God will gather his people together and build them into a new people. Reminds me of the, uh, the scene in the Palace Ballroom of the Blues Brothers. I need you, you, you. It's you, me, everybody. It's this universal need that we have that is brought together before God. But that's for Israel, where I don't see any Jews in this room. Uh, I'm not a Jew. I can't call myself an ethnic part of the people of God. I'm not, I'm not an Israelite. So what about us? Well, I think if we skip forward to that, to that second reading in Romans, we get an even richer picture of what it means to gather. Because in, in that picture in Romans, we get a new picture of what it looks like. That we, as Christians, are called to be participants in a new family. He said in Romans 8, 14 onwards, um, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. No longer are we just people gathering together as individuals in a social group, but we are the children of God. And the Spirit that we receive brought, brings about our adoption to sonship. It's being brought into a family, into something that's new. Whereas a lot of the time, I think when we think about what is uh, what are we called to? We're thinking about, well, we're called to be the church. We're called to be the people of God. But one of the metaphors that, one of the things that, the descriptions that the New Testament uses and the Bible uses in general is that of a family, that of we're gathering together as a ex- big extended family. And now that has implications that I'm going to go on to in a minute. But I think there's something key in this verse that we often skip over. And it comes in this adoption to sonship. Now, Adoption is one of those things that, in, especially in Australia, is quite odd. We don't do adoption a huge amount. We're kind of culturally are a bit afraid of it because we, we've, had, uh, we've gone wrong in many ways in the way that we've done adoption in the past. And so I think as Australians, we naturally skip over this and go, oh, yes, adoption is some shit. That just means we're part of a new family. That's fine. But I think there's much greater uh, import in what Paul is talking about here. Because, as I've said, we're not 
ethnically part of the same family. Whereas the, the, in the Old Testament, they could trace their lineage back to Abraham. Here, I don't think any of us could trace our lineage back to any single uh, common ancestor within the, our own family tree that we could, we could build at the moment, except for maybe Jamie and Pete from Tasmania. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but instead, instead, Paul uses this metaphor of, of being adopted. Um, and part of that, I think, is not just about um, being brought, brought into a new family, but the way that that's, that happens. We start as separate people. We go through the process of adoption, and we're eventually in the new family. There's a past, present, and future to that. Perhaps the, the easier one is, is to think of the opposite. Daniel, our, my second son, or even Caleb, my, my firstborn, um, neither of them have been anything but porters their entire life. They came into this world as a porter. They got registered as, a, as well, Caleb hasn't been registered. Uh, Daniel hasn't been registered yet, but, you know, he'll get there eventually. And he'll grow up as a porter. There was no past of not being a porter. But I think for us, and for me personally, I'm, I'm adopted in this world, there was a past where I was not a porter. There was a past where all of us were not part of the family of God. I was brought into my adoptive family through various machinations and legal systems. Um, we were brought into the family of God through Christ. And then I, I am then called to live out my life as a porter. We are called to live out our lives as Christians. There is a past, present, and future to our adoption. And the critical part of that is that it's, for us, it's not by anything that we can do. I could not affect my own adoption to my adoptive parents. Can you imagine it? A, a little, I think I was about 11 months old. Yes, please adopt me. I would rather like to be adopted. If you could sign this paperwork here, um, I'll just print it off and um, it, I'll copy it in three places and we'll send it off to the judge and to the adoption services. Uh, please adopt me. This would be rather nice. Thank you. It's ridiculous. It doesn't work like that. It's the same for us. We don't go to God and say, oh, yes, I am so good. Look at me. I'm, I'm the, the, the pinnacle of uh, my family. I have uh, got the, the highest degrees. Uh, I was educated at the best schools. Please adopt me as your son. No. It happens through Christ, through Christ and his work for us. It's not of our own effort. And so we're brought into this new family. And, and I, I take it throughout the New Testament, there are whole bunches of different areas where um, we are referred to as family, as, as more than just a social group or a social gathering, but there's a people of God, a family of God. So you have Jesus in Mark 3, Luke 9, um, who are my brother, mothers and brothers? When his biological mothers and brothers come to the house, he says to the crowd assembled before him, who are my mothers and brothers? And the answer to that is simply, whoever does the will of my father are my mothers and brothers and sisters. Paul uses, uh, throughout um, his letters, he uses uh, this, uh, the adoption imagery, but also uses the nature of being in Christ, uh, which is cumulatively a shorthand for being a child of God. Um, and then he also uses the them, us, and we language. A lot of the time, if you see in, the, in his letters, uh, you see they were doing this, we are doing that, but all of us together do this. 
So what are we called to? I take away called to be family. Now, scratch around from metaphors is a bit hard. Family isn't the only metaphor, but I think it's one of the best ones for our society. I'll get into that in a minute. So then who is called? Well, we as people, as individuals, as flawed individuals, as broken people. Who is called to make up a gathering? Who is called to be family? Now, I said I'd get to talking a bit about family. Family's a, a bit of a, a difficult one often because we want, we want to be ha- talking about the family in the highest regard. Fam- God's family is far and away beyond what any of us could ever imagine, I think. It is the perfected family. But then again, we have the family that we are confronted with on a daily basis around us. The family that we've come as part of, that we've grown up in, or the family, families that we see around us. We have to acknowledge that we live in an area where there's a tension between what we see as family, both within the church and outside of the church, and what God's intention of family is. So I want to say a few things about family now. And they all come under this one main thought. No matter how good your experience of family is, or how bad, God's family is better. God's design for his family is better. We get a a, a small taste of that throughout the New Testament, but if we skip right to the end, that very last uh, book of the Bible, very last passage of the very last book of the Bible, we see the image of what we we as a family of God, the bride of Christ, the, the people of God are to end up as. Revelation 21, uh, John hears a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God will be, himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Those models of family that we have, they often don't match up with this. I know this morning I got up and we'd had a long night. Jill had a long, longer night than me. I just got the, <laughs> I just got the thumbs up for that comment. Um, and Caleb came out of his room and I was, and I was absolutely knackered and... Uh, my response to Caleb when he first got up was anything but as loving as it should have been. I wish it was more loving. I wish it was more gracious. But it, sadly, it wasn't. And yet, when, when we come before God, when we gather before God as a family, his only response to us is loving, is gracious, is glorious. We're flawed and broken people, And this is where I think the adoption metaphor is critical. I'm thankful that it is only through Christ that we are formed as a family. Because if it is through our own effort, through what I do, I'll relate to my Christian family in the same way as I sadly relate to my biological family sometimes, as a flawed and broken individual. But if it is through Christ that we are united as family, then it is through him that we are changed and we are brought together 
and there is a better vision of family for us. So if your family is great, if your family is awesome, like mine is, absolutely, then know this, God's design for family is still better than that. If your family isn't great, if your experience of family has been terrible, know this, God's design for family is greater greater than that. Whatever your experience is, God's design for family, his way of binding his family together is better than what we have. But it can only be done in Christ. And we're still not quite there yet. As much as I might think that I'm perfected, I know the reality in my heart. So family is a great metaphor because it reflects the eternal reality of of where we are. But for now, we have to deal with that brokenness, the way that we relate in this world. Our family of God here on this earth often displays much of the same brokenness of this life. And actually, I think that's kind of a good thing. Often, I think if we saw a perfected family here, if we think that we are the perfect family of God now, well, we might be tempted to think that we can do it all on our own, that we got it all together, that we have succeeded in our mission. But I think when we do see those cracks, those flaws, the times that we aren't bearing with with each other as we should, Well, it reminds us that all of this can only be done in Christ. So that is effectively who makes up a gathering. The people of Christ adopted into family and brought together as flawed people, but as redeemed people. So then why are we called? Why are we actually called to gather? Because... We could just keep on living our lives as separate parts of a family, you know, effectively estranged family in our different little um, pockets of the world. Well, I I take it it's because of the same reason why uh, we're called to be the people of God in all of the different aspects that we do as, as a church. And it's because we're called to be participants. We're called to participate in each other's life and in the life with God. And I think specifically one of the areas that um, gathering helps us with is participating in training one another to be more like Christ. If the times that we're, uh, we don't bear with each other, the times that we see each other's flaws, the times that we get on each other's nerves, are the, sign, the signs that we're gathering as flawed people, well, then they're also the things that we can address as a gathering, that we can speak into each other's lives. Brian Rosner, um, principal at Ridley, has just recently written a book called Known by God, and he, where he looks at the, the nature of, of what it is to be, not just to know who God is, but to be known by him. And in one section, he talks about uh, how, how the relationship is of people who are known by God. And it, there's an overlap between who we are as individuals and who we will be as, uh, re, as fully redeemed part of the body of Christ the now and the not yet, the later on. And he sees that there are, there's all these characteristics that we have, our individual personality, our, um, our gender, our ethnicity, things that uh, we have now which we, we don't share with each other. Funnily enough, I'm, I'm so probably fairly obvious, I'm half Chinese, half Irish. You know, I, I don't think I share that ethnicity with anyone else in this room. But 
the other the other area of that that uh, Brian identifies that there's a whole bunch of characteristics that we do share together as the people of God. That as people brought into a new family, we do share all of these characteristics. And so I, I would say that there are the, these traits that we share as adopted people. There's two categories of them. I'll, I'll go through them. They're vertical and they're horizontal. So we share as people who are adopted together into the family. We are heirs together. We are sons of, and daughters of God. We share his likeness and we imitate him in Christ. And we're to be discipled with him. They're all categories of things that we share together that we not only uh, share, share um, with God vertically, but we can work with each other in, in growing each other in. We also share horizontal things between us. Love, intimacy, harmony, mutual care and support. All of these things that we do together as part of a family, as uh, familial people uh, that we uh, gather together and we can um, train each other in, we can build each other up in. Because if, as uh, Romans 8 puts it, if we live according to the flesh, we will die. But by the spirit you put to, to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Well, that, I think there's a, a significant area there where the, by the spirit we can help each other do these things, both horizontally and vertically. We can grow in our relationship with God and we can grow in our relationship with each other. Think of it this way. It's a little bit like the if you're standing on a train line. I don't actually recommend this because most train lines have trains on them and... Um, Actually, our friends who work for Metro aren't here this morning, but highly not recommended to stand on train lines while there are trains coming. But if you imagine yourself standing on a train line, looking off into the distance, you have the two, two tracks, and they seem to converge at the end. That sort of drawing together towards a distant object means that as individuals, we, as we journey together, we're being closer drawn towards God. Or if I ask any of the people here to come towards me, to come towards this podium, you will inevitably come closer to each other. I think that in our journey towards God, this is what we do. So then how do we do it? Finally, where does the rubber hit the road? How do we do gathering? Well, I take it that we gather it in all sorts of different ways. We, when we were talking at the start, we identified areas that we gather as in very small groups, at the pubs, in the parks. Or as we gather as very large groups at the G, where we gather as all sorts of different areas. So I want to put these on a spectrum. And I'm going to anchor the two ends of the spectrum as generically large and generically small. And Sundays are probably sort of the area that we can most helpfully think of our large gatherings and our missional communities as we think of our small gatherings. So we, we do gather at those sort of levels as families anyway. Our, my little biological family, all four of us, we gather in our house all the time. It's, you know, it's nice, neat, homogenous. We're all like each other, sort of. Um, we're all very similar to each other. We get along. But at the same time, we're, bo we're both part of... Uh, extended families, Jules more, far more extended than mine, um, and we're, we also gather as bi part of bigger families. 
they're large, they're a bit messier, they're a bit more awkward to fit into one table at a restaurant. Um, they cause ordering issues, you know, all of these sort of things. And yet we're still part of those larger families. And the larger family still teaches us things about our smaller family. And our smaller family teaches us things about how our larger family should operate. And I think it's the same for us as the church. Small families, small gatherings tend to be similar. People who are like each other will gather together. It helps with, and I think that really helps with speaking specifics to each other, with discipling each other, nurturing each other, seeking to bless each other in really concrete, tangible ways. I've been really blessed um, in these last couple of weeks as, uh, after Daniel was born with people who know us well going, the one time that's going to be absolutely terrible uh, in the day will be dinner time. When Caleb's at the end of his tether and he wants to go to bed, um, Daniel, it, you know, it's pretty much a two-hourly feed cycle, so he's just going to want to feed anyway. I've just come home um, from work and Jules has been home all day and wants to crash. And so the one place that our mission community has been loving us is by providing meals for us. It's been great. It's been a wonderful blessing in that. Very specific. It may, probably wouldn't actually work for, may not work for other people as well. But because they know us, our mission community knows us, you can do those. You can speak into the specifics for each other. Large family, on the, in the other hand, tends to be quite diverse, quite broad. And let me just say, we're not the largest family here. We're, we're part of a much broader community, much bigger um, part of the global church. But in, the, in that diversity, it helps us to see uh, where our limitations are. It helps us training as a whole group. Worshipping together teaches us about how other people worship, not just people like us. Taking the sacraments, the Lord's Supper, and seeing other people baptised helps us to, to see what God is, work, is doing outside of our little family, outside of our little community. And teaching, we get, we're able to be taught on a, on a much broader basis. We're able to teach each other as we um, reflect on what we're reading and what we're going through. I take it both are required, that without one you would be deficient, that you would be, there wouldn't be a full body of Christ, there wouldn't be the full family. So large and small, and I think those large and small um, categories also end up looking a little bit like two other categories, and here's the technical words for them, the imminent and the transcendent, or more literally, God is with us, God is close to us, and God is everywhere. It's a tension that we have. And small gatherings show us about how God is at work in his family, that God is at work uh, close to us. We can see it happening all the time. We can celebrate all of the things that, are, that go on. But there's a temptation in that. Well, the, and the temptation is that God's, God's work is all about us, that the only time that God is at work is, is when he's with us, right next to us. Big gatherings, on the other hand, display how God is at work in the world, in the broader society. We see different aspects of that. And I think one of the great things is that we can see how God is at work even in uh, Southeast Asia, um, as we see Brett and Kat uh, working over there, or as we see uh, in, the, in the Far East as other partners, as other people we know go out there. But the temptation is, if we only have that, is to see that God only works over there. He's distant from us. But God is both of those things. And I take it we need both sides of gathering to do that. 
And the final, final pairing, I think, is in and out, formative and expressive. Bo both areas, we train and teach each other. Small groups and the smaller communities, our missional communities, help with training and forming people well. In our bigger groups, we tend to do expression well. The things that we can't do, we, we can leverage the number of people that we have. But we are people who are formed to express, and we're expressively formed. By expressing who we are, we're form, we forming ourselves, we're forming each other. But at the same time, you need the other half of the equation. We need both of them at play. And I think one of the examples of this is um, one of um, Pete, my, our lecturers, uh, used to always say that um, there's a part of the Anglican service, which I never understood growing up. It's called the greeting of the peace. And um, basically, it's a point that you get to the service and, and you go around and you shake the hands of everyone else in, 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 the, in the service and they say, peace be with you. And a, as a kid growing up, I went, this is just bizarre. Like, why are we doing this? You know, wandering around this church going, peace be with you. What is, how, how do I offering peace to someone? Is, is, am I at war with them? I haven't, I haven't pulled out a knife or a gun today, so I don't think I'm at war with them. So I, and so I, I really struggle with, like, what the heck does this mean growing up? And yet, I think as an adult, I can reflect on that and go, there is something beautiful about that. And one of our lecturers actually made the point that when he gets that part of the service, he'll go to the person who he thinks he has the worst relationship with in the entire church, the, thing, the person who he feels most distant from, and go to them first and say, peace be with you. Are we okay? Where are we at in our relationship? What, what's happening here? They're, these are the opportunities that you only get in a large gathering. And at the same time, in a small gathering, you don't get the opportunity to go deep in those relationships. You get the, the opportunity to be able to say, I'm, I'm a brother and sister in Christ with you. But you don't get to see how deep that relationship is. We need both as we gather. So to, to, as we finish up, I think in gathering, we show the diversity and breadth of our gathering before the throne. We see that there are every tribe and tongue and, and language and nation gathered before the, before the throne of God. But at the same time, I think for John to be able to see every tribe and tongue and language and nation before the throne of God, well, there has to be some, some form of diversity in there. It's not just one sort of all these people who are exactly the same because they're identifiable. There's every tribe and tongue and language and nation there. We are all individuals, but we're individuals who are called to gather together as the body of Christ. And I think gathering, both here on a Sunday morning as a larger community and also during the week in small groups, in our, in our um, mission communities, and also thinking about how we gather as the body of Christ across this world. One of the privileges that we have here in Melbourne is that it's 10.30 10 when we gather and it's GMT plus 10. We get to, to see the, the, rest of the rest of the world gathering together throughout the day. As, as basically friends of mine check in on Facebook. It's, it's a wonderful thing. You get to see, oh, the, these friends are gathering here in Durham. These friends are gathering here in, um, in Africa and Tanzania. These friends are gathering over here in New York. These friends are now gathering over here in Denver. It's a beautiful thing to, think, to reflect on the, how we are the broad body of Christ. We're bound together as a, as a family. And so I take in the words of the writer of Hebrews, let us not give up meeting together 
as some in the habit of doing. Amen. Questions? I know I went for a while. <laughs> so the question was, um, is social media replacing gathering? Uh, and what do I think about that? And uh, I think Mark Zuckerberg definitely thinks that social media is replacing gathering. Uh, Zuckerberg came out a little while ago and said, Facebook is the church for the 21st century. And what he meant was uh, Facebook is a place that people gather in the 21st century. I think he's absolutely wrong. Um, for a whole bunch of reasons, um, I, basically, uh, long and short of it, there's two fa factors which I think are critical in this. One is that um, the, way, the algorithms, algorithms that social media and also the non-participatory aspects of social media allow us to use is that um, it will tend to show us the things that uh, we like uh, and it trains our feed in various, you, you curate your feed literally, um, to only show you the things that you like. And that generally comes from people who will like you. Uh, and I think that's almost the worst end of how we gather as people. Um, because if, if the only people who are like you, we show no diversity of the gathering, we show no diversity of the people, and it only fosters conflict. And secondly, um, the, within the, the social media gather, um, space, there's very low interpersonal uh, relationships. Um, there's low emotion, uh, emotive effect, there's very, very low um, empathy, there's very, very high negativity. I wrote a piece on my blog um, actually earlier in this week, which goes through a whole bunch of them if you want to read the sources for this. Um, and realistically, I don't think you can necessarily call a gathering a gathering unless you have people who are relating to each other emotionally as well as uh, in 140 characters. So... Yeah, I, I think Mark, Mark Zuckerberg definitely thinks it is, but I'd say he's absolutely wrong. Yeah, great. So um, the question was, within a gathering, you'll tend to, to generate internal identity and culture. Um, and how do we ensure that when people are walking past, we're uh, not being um, erecting a boundary to them and that it's a porous boundary into the group? Uh, Absolutely. I, I think one of the one of the ways that you do that we do that is by the overlap of the groups that we're part of. Um, while we gather here as on, on a Sunday morning as a large group, we're also still gathering as smaller groups throughout the week, and those smaller groups uh, have edges which are not part of this gathering often. Um, and one of the ways that that we ensure that there are porous boundaries that we, is to ensure that we're in constant contact with people who are outside of. The various groups that we're that we're part of. Uh, one of the, the the great benefits of our society, as much as um, the way that we gather is is a little bit is arguably flawed, um, one of the great benefits of our society is that we gather in a whole bunch of different areas. That we're not, we, whereas previously our identities were linked to what we did, where we lived, um, the village that we're part of, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, now we're our social groupings are far more diverse. Um, it's very rare that someone will gather with the people that they work with outside of the work period, except for maybe a handful of those. And, and similarly, um, those who they play in the park with will not be at their work and things like that. Uh, that sort of um, porosity of boundaries there, I think, is what we need to bring in into our smaller group gatherings and our, even our large group gatherings. Um, the notion that the door is always open 
um, except when it's pouring outside and it's about to um, flood, the, flood the room. Um, but that people can, can come in and that the reason why we are, are outward facing and, and doing that is because our smaller groups, the areas that are easier to do that in, are outward facing and that will filter into our larger gatherings. Um, yeah, I could talk for... Uh, th my PhD thesis is on that. <laughs> um, so I could talk for hours on that and I'll keep that short. <laughs> Jamie. Sure. Um, gathering and church are, are, uh, come from the same, word, same root word, ecclesia. Um, I've used gathering here because I wanted to focus on the local gathering, where we are now as Inner West. Uh, as Inner West, we're part of the Anglican Church, where the other, the other two words on the logo are Inner West Anglican Church. They're the smaller ones at the bottom. Um, and <laughs> so you can, literally the smaller ones at the bottom. <laughs> um, and, and I think I really wanted to distinguish our local gathering from the church universal, the church larger, um, because it's easy to see. Um, and I would say, even still, we are we are the church here, but I think the connotations of church for us are much larger and also more impersonal. Um, I know for for me growing up, the church was this place which was more about the building than the people, uh, whereas I think the gathering is more about the people than the building, um, and indeed, you can be both. Uh, it's just about what comes to mind when we hear it. 